many of you have had one of those, not here, but glorious Christmas pageant experiences? <laughs> Maybe with your kids or grandkids, one that didn't go as planned? Do you remember that? When I was a child, I was a camel. Let's just say, let's just say I don't talk about it anymore. <laughs>
her own silent shame. Maybe she didn't even have the Ten Commandments memorized. Fuck. It's interesting that when Gabriel came to Mary, he said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And see, over time, we have interpreted favored one as perfect one or most righteous one. In fact, at Free For All, the time where we gather the week on Tuesday before Sunday to talk about the upcoming scripture for Sunday, someone said around the table, well, what makes her favored? What would make us favored? I think Mary's response and reaction to Gabriel proves where her favor comes from. Notice what she is said to have felt. She is perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Notice, she has the same element of surprise that when Michelle preached, remember about those who fed and clothed and housed the least of these, had the same element of surprise. We were just doing what we always do. We didn't know we were housing or clothing or feeding the Lord. But after being perplexed, the angel tries to console her a little bit. I say a little bit. He says, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and as a kingdom, there will be no end. I think Mary was doing a pretty good job not interrupting before this. <laughs> I think I would have gotten to as far as, and you will conceive in your womb, at which point I would have said, there's something that kind of needs to happen first. It fit, I think, Though, after letting him complete these first three sentences, she says, Whoa, angel, back that up. <laughs> that sounds cool and all. I mean, she was 14. <laughs> but how can this be? I'm, after all, a In this moment, Mary only has a limited view of who she is. And this is what I love about this story. She just sees herself as everyday, ordinary, probably knows her imperfections. But God is trying to move her from seeing herself as she is to who God is calling her to be. It's a huge journey from seeing who you think you are who God is calling you to be. Dare I say at first that her imagination wasn't large enough to envision that she could hold space for the Lord of all creation? This whole story should challenge us to think, who are we? And who is God calling us to be? This whole story of incarnation is imperfect. We don't even have time today to get into the social ramifications of the pregnancy. 
unwed, young, girl, pregnant. Well, let's just say it wasn't just Joseph that was going to be upset. She had everything to lose if this whole Jesus thing didn't come out right. Her social standing in the community, her family's disowning her, her marriage or relationship with Joseph, who would take care of her postpartum? Mary, the Jewish abiding citizen, would have been Mary Nazareth trash. But something shifts in Mary. The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, giving you this holy child to be called Son of God. And guess what? You know your older cousin, Elizabeth, who was thought to be barren? She's conceived a son too. Nothing is impossible with God. Now Mary could have given over in that one moment could have given over to her fear knowing she was full of imperfections. What will God think when God really finds out who I am? Is God really going to sort of retract this whole Jesus contract? Or more likely, what are my friends going to find out when they see my belly showing? When confronted with fear, we usually have three options. We fight. Some of us do that better than others. Some of us fight. We run the other direction into denial. Or three, one I think we all do very well. We freeze. We stand still and we do nothing. We don't move. Our brain is in slow motion. Our spirits shut down. And I would venture to say that much of our lives is lived in a semi-frozen state. With something like this said, let me live my life. I don't really want to have to face any of my true fears, my ancient stories, my lovers, my demons, myself. Let me tell you what happens to a frozen state after long. Never move from who we think we are to who God is calling us to be. But there's one other response to fear. Because fear comes. It's inevitable. That response is trust. I trust that whatever happens to me is in God's hands. Or as the mystic Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well. And all manner of thing shall be well. And this is ultimately where Mary goes. And I think she was a little mystic herself, you know, pondering all these things in her heart. There's this deeper and wider love on this Sunday of love that grips her, and she centers around this concept. Nothing is impossible with God. She remembers God's faithfulness. And so in a moment, in a moment, she surrenders. She was willing to have this Holy Spirit conceive the child within her. Notice she didn't even seem too concerned who the daddy was after she found out. She says, let it be according to me, according to your word. I love what Kathleen said at Free For All. 
She says, how many young women did Gabriel go to before he found one that would say yes? What a thought. How long does it take for us to surrender to what God is calling us to be? I love what Richard Ward says in his work, Preparing for Christmas. He said, how do we also give birth as Mary did? You know, you and I, we we tend to manage life more than just live it. We're all overstimulated and drowning in our lives. Can I get an amen at Christmas? We are trained to be managers, to organize life, and to make things happen. And that is what built our first world culture, he says. It's not all bad. But he says, if you transfer this to the spiritual life, it is pure heresy. It's wrong. It doesn't work. It's not gospel. If Mary was trustfully carrying Jesus during this time, it is because she knew how to receive spiritual gifts. In fact, the spiritual gift. There is no mention of any moral worthiness, achievement, or preparedness in Mary. Only holy, humble trust and surrender. She gives us all, therefore, a bottomless hope in our own little state. And here's the kicker. If we ourselves try to manage God, or manufacture our own worthiness by any performance principle whatsoever, we will never bring forth the Christ, but only ourselves. We will never bring forth the Christ, but ourselves. And this is hopeful. I love this because most of us in this room come and say, in this movement between who I who do I think I am? What is God calling me to be? And somewhere in between, you're thinking, who am I? And how can I even be useful? My body's falling apart. I'm aging. What is the role for me now? Or maybe your mind is cluttered right now with all these lists and to-do and and, and worries, but you, you push them aside and you're like, oh no, these are just too insignificant for God. Or maybe you come into this room and you think, I'm so screwed up. I've done all these things. How could God ever use me? But notice Mary's example. She didn't manage. She didn't fix. She didn't control or perform in any way. She just says yes. That didn't mean she had it figured out. It didn't mean she didn't doubt it, didn't question it, didn't rage against it. But in that moment, she surrendered and said, yes. And she brings forth this abundant promise foretold from Isaiah. What would it look like for you and I, for you and me, to say yes to Christ this Advent? Are we still waiting to... To be a little more perfect, a little bit, you know, when I'm a little bit further down the spiritual journey, 
Then I'll receive this word. But the good news, again, why I love this annunciation story, is that God calls Mary not because she's perfect, but because she's willing to surrender. And what does that even mean? Okay, surrender. All of a sudden, there's like, well, ah, yeah, surrender. That's huge. That's painful, right? We start thinking about all the things that are required when we surrender. To surrender, by definition, means you have a choice, like think in battle, to fight or to give over control. That doesn't sound like a good option, does it? To surrender, to give up control. But here is the very important distinction. What are we surrendering to? What are we surrendering? On this fourth Sunday of love, I would ask us to not focus on the things that we need to let go and all our imperfections that we feel very heavily, but rather that in this moment we are surrendering to a love that has no end, to a love that's willing to give up all heaven and glory to know us. Part of the reason we struggle to surrender is because we think and have in one box what we think surrender means. We think, oh, it's giving up choice to an impersonal God who despises our imperfections. Sometimes we have that. And of course we have a hard time surrendering in that moment. But let me put it this way. Let me reframe it in a question. What if God wants you this Christmas to surrender to the fullness that you are loved and that you are the favored one. What if God wants you to surrender to your belovedness? To realize that we don't just worship a baby in a manger, but a living God who is just as much alive right now as in that baby 2,000 years ago. What if we Surrender to the concept of a relationship of love. It's a relationship of love with a real God, not an impersonal God. I love what Walter Brueggemann said in, in a, when he was preaching to a group of preachers. Walter Brueggemann, a theologian and biblical scholar. He said, few of our people imagine God to be an active character in the story of their lives. Few of our people imagine God to be an active character in the story of their lives. And so on this fourth Sunday of Advent, I feel like I'm a messenger 
the need to tell you that you are favored. And that there is a real and active God wanting relationship with you. This is not just some ancient story. But it's a God who invites us to make room. You just got to clear out the space. To make room. Clear off the table. Make room. Are we able to hear the God who comes to us and says, I'm not calling you because you're perfect. I'm not calling you because you are righteous. I love gospel message. I'm not calling you to something big. Each one of you invited to something big in the purpose of the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? You have something big to do, as big as Mary had to do. And this morning, I want to try something a little different. Go figure. You notice in your bulletin, there's an insert. I want you to think about where God is at work in your life right now. I want you to think of what God is inviting you to do. What does God want you to make space for? And what is God calling you to become? So if you notice on the one side, I want you to read... I am favored by God. Indeed, God wants to do great things through me. And I want to make this real and concrete and ritualized by taking a couple minutes in our reflect and respond time today to write down where God might be inviting you to surrender to love to make room for your belovedness. So take a few minutes as we reflect 